welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So this morning we are going to talk a little bit about mental health. It was Mental Health World Mental Health Day this last week. And we think it's really important as a church that we talk about things that really matter to people and that people struggle with. One of the uh, things that my, one of my friends who doesn't go to church says to me occasionally is, when are you going to talk about the things that the rest of us are talking about? And when are you going to address the things that we're all struggling with? It seems if you can't be you in church, uh, why would I go, is what he said. So... We take, as I said, we take mental health really seriously. And if you remember nothing else from what happens, the conversation that we're about to uh, engage in together, I want to say two things. The first is is that um, it is okay to be struggling in the sense that we want to recognize that many people are. And that if we can't be real about that in church, we might as well all uh, pack up and go home. That's the first thing. We want to remove some of the stigma or begin to remove it or continue to remove it uh, from people who uh, wrestle with mental health issues. The second thing, though, is it is not okay to struggle on your own. We are a family. Uh, uh, what that means is that we walk through life together. It means we get to enjoy the best moments of life with people, with our friends and with our family. And it means that we get, to, we get the privilege of walking through them in the most difficult as well. So that is why we are having this panel. So the first thing is, is let's talk about it. And the second thing is, uh, it's not okay to struggle alone. But we have an amazing panel uh, with us this morning. So I would love you, please, to welcome uh, Anna, uh, Lynette, and Andy to come and join, join us on the stage. Why don't we give them a uh, warm welcome? Thanks, mate. If you just sit in the seats there, and Anna, if you come here, and Lynette, if you... There we go. Um, I don't know if you noticed. Um, Anna, why don't you take that? But um, Andy, just stand up quickly. I did this morning think, what will Andy be wearing? <laughs> no, no, I really did. And I thought it would be fun to... Like, we nearly got it totally right. There's the boots, and I'm also wearing a white T-shirt that's clean. Um, not, not that yours isn't clean, but yours is grey, but we've done, we've done well. We've done well. So twinning is winning. So, you, you nearly twins. You did really well. You made an effort. You did, you did really well, and you, you look fantastic. Um, so, um, just to start with, why don't you introduce yourself quickly and tell us a little bit about yourselves. So, seeing as I'm holding the microphone, um, I'm Anna. You might normally see me tearing around after two brown-haired monkeys up the aisles, but I'm married There's to... There's no way to talk about your husband. <laughs> I'm married to Taryn over there, who I'm a bit nervous um, that he's watching me. I am a... I've got another one on the way, because we are a little bit mad like that. <laughs> um, I'm a psychotherapist by trade. That's what I tend to do a couple of days a week. Um, I also talk quite a lot about mental health on social media, which is something that has just evolved over the last kind of year and a half, really. Um, and I share some of my personal kind of experience with mental health, but also along with some professional insight. Um, so, yes, that's kind of... And it is quite, like, your, your Instagram stories are quite funny. 
I can't believe you watched them. Uh, I'm mortified. <laughs> Taryn, good. my they're husband's good. blocked from them because they're I find really, it too mortifying. My, my children blocked me from Instagram once. <laughs> Um, no, but it's, it's really good. It's really funny. And you're, doing a, you're about to start a podcast, aren't you? Yeah, I'm about to start a podcast um, in the next couple of weeks, starting to look at just, just sitting with people and chatting with them about their kind of their stories and bringing some kind of different insight into things. Just, just making it really normal to talk about some of these things that we hold so deeply and kind of smother with shame, really. Um, yeah, that's my, my passion. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Andy. Hi, so I'm Andy. Um, I've been coming to Emmaus for quite a few years now. Um, married for about six years, just over six years. Um, and yeah, in my in my my day job, I work for Sky. Um, my job title is actually everyone gives me a really weird reaction when I when I say this, but I'm, my, my job title is scrum, a Scrum Master, which um, Scrum Scrum Master, oh, yeah. I like that. Like Which, if, if you were to sort of translate it into sort of normal language, it's basically IT manager. Um, we, uh, I, I'd, I'd stick with the Scrum manager. Yeah, I, I, I prefer it. Um, so I work for Sky, I work in web development. Um, yeah, been married to, I don't know what else to say really. No. And just the reason why we're doing this panel now is because Andy emailed and sort of said very politely and in a nice way, when are you going to talk about this? <laughs> so um, thank you for encouraging us to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah, no problem. I mean, on, on that, it was actually at work, we actually had an amazing sort of session where, um, because Simon, um, where Simon Thomas came in and spoke about his experiences, and it was, a, it was a great sort of hour where it was sort of a theater full of people like this, and uh, it was really useful for, for a sort of a corporate environment. It was sort of the most, I've sort of, it felt like being in church, to be honest, that experience. So it was, yeah, hence why the, the message, I guess. Brilliant. But, uh, Brilliant. And Lynette. Yes, Bill. I just wish I was called a scrum manager. I really do. But actually, there have been times in my life where I've felt like I've been managing a scrum. Um, but that was meant nicely to all those who I've been involved with. I'm Lynette. Um, uh, I've been married to Mick for nearly 40 years. Um, mum to three adult children have um, a lot of experience with wider extended family in all sorts of um, ways that will come out, I guess, as we chat later. Uh, have one grandchild and another one on the way uh, next week. And uh, went um, a trained nurse and then went into health visiting, family planning nursing, and then went overseas to Bible school, worked in a Bible school, and then came back, and since then have been working along with my husband at a Christian ministry called CWR. We produce resources to help people understand their emotional well-being, and we also train counsellors and do a lot in the realm of pastoral care as well. So that's me. Brilliant. Um, and... What would be really helpful for everyone here, I think, is if you had an experience that would help sort of frame the discussion, what part of your story uh, would help us to sort of particularly connect with this whole issue around sort of mental health? Andy, why don't you kick us off? Um, so from my own personal experiences, I've got, I guess it's sort of two, two ways, I suppose. There's my own personal experiences, um, but then also when I, when I sort of was going through that time I sort of reflect back on it and think across across my life especially over the last 10 years how many people I've known be it friends families and colleagues who have uh, ho who have been impacted um, by mental health issues and um, 
Um, I suppose before I sort of go into sort of my own experiences, one of the things that I was sort of slightly concerned about this morning was that my my own personal story didn't really feel like it carried enough sort of weight, I suppose. And I was I know I've talked was running this through with with Bill and I was chatting to a friend about it yesterday and and he was sort of uh, you know, give it, it was quite incredible that he said this given his current situation and he was he was saying, um, well actually every 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 issue is is an issue that 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 needs to be dealt with, even if big or small. The way in which it's 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 dealt with is uh, could be just sort of like conversation, or it could be it could be something more. Um, but um, yeah, I, I sort of I sort of feel quite strongly that in the way that say if you would have a um, you if you had a, a sort of like a simple cold or something, you might take something to to, to improve that, and you might take the time out to get over it. Well. With um, with mental health, we should, I, I guess, take the same time to sort of to, to nurture our, our mental health as, as much. Um, but from my own um, personal experiences, um, I would say that I struggled with uh, panic attacks and depression, and that was all kind of kicked off about sort of three years ago, um, where um, me and my wife had um, we just bought a, basically we just we just moved house we just we just bought somewhere. Um, and um, and it, it essentially it was all good. It was something that we'd really wanted to do as a couple for a, for a long time, and we we're really excited to do this. But after we after we'd bought and moved in and all that kind of stuff, within it sort of felt like a few weeks. It just sort of transpired that actually I, I just really struggled to live there, um, and and I think it, for, for a variety of reasons I just we just couldn't settle there. And this this initially just basically really knocked me for six. We had. Uh, we'd sort of spent all of our, our money uh, to do it, um, so we kind of were sort of stuck there. Um, and, uh, and initially this sort of meant that I, I, I just couldn't really sort of process this, I suppose. So much sort of, sort of hope, I suppose, had gone into to, to doing, that, doing that thing and buying the house that I initially started to have, um, started to have panic attacks because the whole thing was slightly kind of overwhelming, uh, which manifested in various kind of different ways. Um, uh, I suppose I suppose the most the sort of most obvious way it sort of manif- I, I sort of found myself actually sort of being curled up on a ball in the floor on the floor actually the most comfortable place to be when uh, when sort of having one but uh, uh, and and this kind of sort of this kind of then sort of with with that um, with that sort of experience it then seemed to sort of bring up a lot of other things for me around sort of uh, just things that sort of hadn't quite manifested as I'd hoped to in my life and this sort of just eventually I just sort of started to get in my own head with everything and that's where I'd say that sort of initial sort of time moved into what I would what I would describe as depression anyway um yeah thanks Andy that's so um thank you for being honest um I know for myself just I think men particularly uh, everybody I think struggles to talk about mental health uh, challenges and struggles, but I think uh, particularly for men, it's something that can be really hard because it, for, for whatever reason in our culture, seems to be like a sign of weakness to say, help, I need help. And um, you know, many of you will know, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but not the church I worked at before, but the church I worked at before that, it didn't end well for all sorts of reasons. Um, and uh, had it not been for some really good friends, my closest friend peers, and a couple of other people literally coming and just sitting with me 
and then sort of being encouraged to go and see. I never would have thought of going and seeing a counsellor by myself. Um, but, you know, mid sort of panic moment. And it, it took a friend of mine saying, have you thought about having counselling? And I hadn't. And I'm so glad that I did. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. But thanks, Andy. How about, how about um, you, Lynette? Um, I guess my story is a bit different to Andy's. Uh, I became a Christian in my teens, non-Christian family. My dad then, within six months of becoming a Christian, died suddenly in a road accident. Um, I had two older brothers who had no faith, didn't cope with it well at all, um, and became mildly dysfunctional in many ways, I guess, and remained so, actually, um, 40, 50 years later. Um, I then lost my newly um, brought into the family sister-in-law who died within a year of being married to my brother of ovarian cancer. Um, I've had wider family, um, none of whom are known to you as I share my story today, I would just add. But I've got lots of nieces, nephews and wider family. Um, there's been gambling addiction in our family um, t twice with two different members of the family. Um, my mum died of dementia just a year or so ago. Um, my personal experience, so I'm kind of coming from a how, how, by the grace of God, have I survived all of that in some ways. And I can talk about that a little bit um, when we come on to chat further. But I guess from a personal experience, the one thing I'd want to say is I did go through a phase, which possibly many mums have been through, of... Um, it's a struggle to get three kids out the door when they're all little and then everything else that you're coping with as well. But there came a time when I couldn't get those kids out the door and I just couldn't cope, couldn't do anything. And Mick very ably stepped in and was almost my advocate, I guess, because he pushed and pushed for some help for me. And what transpired, and I'm not saying this to say there's a physical route to everything, but what transpired was I was suffering from pernicious anemia, which meant I could not absorb B12 in my body at all, and it was shooting my nervous system, basically. So one thing I would add amongst all of this is um, some wisdom to throw in, in terms of always get yourself physically checked out. Because whilst I was suffering in some ways in similar um, panic attacks and nervousness and mild depression, actually it was being caused by something that was physically um, rectified in my, in, but I'm not saying that to say that's always the case, um, or belittling when it's not, but just as I guess a, a word of um, advice yeah. to always get checked out physically as well. And Anna, that's part of your story, isn't it? In terms of, I know you're a psychotherapist now, but tell us how you arrived at what you do now, a little bit of your sort of okay. backstory. Yep, so I, I always want to say I grew up in a Christian family, but that's not actually that true. My mum was the Christian influence in my life. My dad had quite a lot of dysfunctional, generational, messy stuff that meant he loved me, but wasn't always the best at communicating it in the, in the, in the ways that maybe I needed. Um, so I had a real kind of duality of like this Christian input but also this kind of painful relationship that led to almost like my life ended up living on this kind of track of on one side, I, I knew what God said about me. I had that influence in my life. But on the other, I had this crippling low se sense of self-worth, a crippling low sense of, of self-value. 
and really didn't ultimately believe that I was worth that much at all, um, which is really hard to say out loud in this context. But my, my self-esteem and my sense of self-worth was rock bottom. But on the other hand, my way of presenting this and coping with life has always been to look like I'm coping with life. And that's quite deceptive. It's difficult. Um, looking like I was okay has always been a coping mechanism rather than often my truth. Um, so... I might have always looked like outside, on the outside, kind of confident and like sociable, but internally just this really like excruciatingly crippling self-dialogue. So the way that we talk to ourselves is always something I'm really interested in when I'm working with clients because it's the most important conversation of your life, the one that you have in your mind and the way that you speak to yourself. So externally looking fine but internally going through kind of massive periods of depression and really kind of self-hatred self-destructive behavior around kind of eating and just the general ways that I was treating myself um, I remember as part of my training as a therapist I had a therapist for two years and I remember her once saying to me Anna the the thing I struggle with with you is that you come to me you talk about your stuff but then you have a you say exactly what you're going to do about it and exactly how you're going to fix it, and there's no space for me left. There's no, there's no vulnerability. So for me, I, the vulnerability was the terrifying thing, um, and that's kind of has been a massive turning point for me, and I think I'll talk about that a little bit later. But unfortunately, my story doesn't stop when I trained as a therapist. I learned a lot of the tools as to help other people. But there was still this kind of this massive fear of vulnerability and a real belief that underneath it all, I was completely worthless. Um, so that I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But that's kind of how I've ended up sitting in this chair, really, because that's, that's a little bit of my story. My sister died um, of a brain tumour when she was six, and that also is quite a big part of um, when, as a family, you go through grief and there's already kind of dysfunctional ways of dealing with emotion. It can make things a little bit messier with how people kind of deal with that grief. So that's also a bit of my story, but yeah. Can just, um, you talked a little bit about um, you know, your presented self as opposed to what's, what's actually going on. And um, I'm, sh I'm sure lots of us can sort of relate to that in terms of how you're on fine one. Um, that's quite tiring, isn't it? Exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. And the challenge of that is, is that people believe it. And, and that's what I wanted people to do. I wanted people to believe it because it was such a, a tightly held defense of mine that I almost was terrified for people to see my vulnerability because I thought if they saw some of my brokenness, I might never be able to put myself back together again. Mm. Is that, uh, Andy, would that be a sort of similar experience for you just in terms of wanting to present as okay? Uh, or were you, were you how, did it, how did that play out for you? Yeah, I, I don't know whether I made a conscious effort to present in a certain way. I mean, um, I've always been told I, I look sort of relatively sort of just melancholy anyway, so... Um, Very good maybe poet. You'd maybe, make a good poet. Yeah, maybe it's different, difficult to sort of know what exactly I'm feeling, but... Um, yeah, I guess, I guess in certain circumstances you would, you would present in a certain way 
Uh, there might be actually times in the day where actually, you were, whether you were at work or somewhere else, uh, it, it wasn't sort of an issue, I suppose. You'd manage to sort of just block that element off from your, from your mind, so you, you, would, you would kind of be okay. But um, yeah, I, I, would, I would say there is, there is an element of, of, of sort of presenting in a certain way, but um, it wasn't something I sort of consciously necessarily did in my circumstance. Pete tells me, when I'm concentrating really hard, like when I'm really listening and leaning in and concentrating, I frown. And he says, like, you look like you're really irritated. And actually, I'm not. I'm just really trying to concentrate hard. So if, if I'm ever with you, and I look like I'm frowning. It's actually because I'm really interested and really concentrating and hanging on every word. So I kind of relate to the sometimes <laughs> I just look grumpy, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm not. Um, um, Lynette, how did, you, um, how did you manage that? I mean, you talked quite a lot. Of, there's quite a lot of death involved in some of your story. And one of the other, if we don't like talking about mental health, we definitely don't like talking about death. And we don't really know how to cope with being around people who are deaf, so who, who have experienced bereavement. So what happens is the people who are bereaved end up trying to manage the other people so they feel okay, which is, again, I should imagine, quite tiring. Was that, was that part of your experience? Yeah. Um, I guess whether you're dealing with sadness and loss for any mm. reason, whether it's actually a death in the family or whatever loss... Um, you're experiencing. I think one of the key things is to own it and acknowledge it mm. and um, have a balance between wallowing in it and um, indulging it and actually allowing other people around you to help you move forwards in that. There's classic what um, counsellors and therapists would call grief cycles and there's always the natural, you feel lost, you feel anger, you feel bitterness, you feel disappointment. And it's like anything that you're struggling with, I guess. It's um, finding the grace, finding the support, and finding the tools to not keep you in that place for any longer than is healthy. Um, and the minute it becomes detrimental to your physical or your mental health, beyond what is um, fairly normal or average. And there's no, there is no set pattern um, but yes, loss of any sort is tiring, um, and self-care at that point, rather than self-indulgence, gets important. And I think it's important that we talk about self-care in that capacity as well. Just um, that, just unpack what you mean by self-care. It'd be really helpful for us. Oh, okay. I shouldn't say things, should I? He's going to leap on me. Um, well, some people believe that looking after yourself when those around you are struggling or when you're busy or you have responsibilities and people are looking to you um, to stand strong and to be a carrier of so many things. Some people would see it as self-indulgent to say, I need me time, I need my space, I need space with those that know me really well or, or space with God. But actually, that is vital to step aside and step away. And however that is for you, whether it's a long walk, whether it's a long bath with a glass of wine, whether it's a weekend away with some friends, whether it's diving into the prayer room, you have to come to a place of enough self-awareness 
of where I am genuinely at and what do I genuinely need right now to be me and to maintain my mental health. Because one of the dangers of the scenario I've found myself in, particularly with someone in our wider family who suddenly let us know they were having panic attacks, depression, and were withdrawing from the life they were leading, um, was not to take all that upon ourselves as being responsible for it, as being the cause of it, as bearing shame for um, being a, a close relative of somebody that was going through that. And that then became very, very vital to have some support and help and insight into where I was at in that rather than where that person was at. And in order to ably support somebody else, we have to look after ourselves as well as that other person. And um, you need to find a way to look after your own mental health, however that is for you. And if, if you have a, a feeling of, I don't even know myself well enough to know what that is good for me, then find someone you can chat to and pray that through with a counselor, a therapist, a very good friend. Um, some of us find it easier to talk to someone who isn't a very good friend, bizarrely. Um, so if that's you, that's absolutely fine. But find a way to look after yourself. It's not self-indulgence. That's a very different thing because that's self-centered and self-focused. It's very different to be aware of yourself and actually maintain your own mental health in all of that. So, I mean, what you're really talking and touching on is sort of the next thing I'd love to talk about. Um, Anna, what are some of the... from as you reflect on your own experience, and obviously your sort of professional experience as well, what are some of the sort of practical things that you did or that you think that people could do that would help them if, if or help somebody that they know or love who is wrestling uh, or struggling with mental health in some way? Yeah. Um, I'll carry on talking about self-care in that context because I think it's so vital to your sense of self-worth and that of other people. So to kind of grasp this message and share it in this context of, it, if we wait until we feel like we're worth treating ourselves in these kind of ways, it will never happen. It's often the behavior that then starts to tap away at that sense of, of what we feel about ourselves. And I like to reframe self-care self as self-preservation because there have been times in my life where going for a massage, man, it was like the most awkward thing for me. I found it excruciating. I'd lie there and feel such a burden on that person that was being paid to give me this massage. Or having a nice long hot bath was just kind of counter what I felt I was worth. So that was actually a bit too much of a challenge. So to strip it back and think... You know, it's about meeting basic needs as well. You know, just, I often mention this, and it makes people laugh because we all do it. You know, it's simple things like going for a wee when you need it, <laughs> listening to your body to the extent that you, are, that you are responding to the simple needs that it is expressing. You know, drinking water. You know, making sure that you're eating the food that isn't sending your body on, like, on peaks and troughs of, like, sugar highs and lows and caffeine highs and lows, which are dragging your kind of your stress hormones and your adrenaline and your cortisol all over the place and exercising and moving. So I really had to break it down for myself to be like these little things, like wearing a coat when I was cold, taking an umbrella when it's raining. I haven't got one today. Um, you know, responding, asking yourself, what do you need? 
Because for so many people, another one of their defenses against their own pain is to be really brilliant at looking at what other people need and meeting other people's needs. Maybe one of my motivations for being a therapist in the first place, actually, was that it was easier for me to help other people than to address all of that stuff for myself. But start asking yourself, what, what do you need? You know, what do you need? Because we can forget the language of our own, our own needs and, and the recognition that, they, that it's even the small things that deserve to be met. So when you speak to that friend who is just struggling, you know, talk about it in the sense of self-preservation. Are you okay? Are you, getting the, are you doing the small things for yourself? You know, it's not selfish. We need to start refilling our cup. We need to put petrol in the car, otherwise it, it runs out. We can't live from a place of empty. Um, a year ago, Taryn took me to the David Lloyd gym thing, and he said, for the love of God, Anna, will you just, I'm signing you up, you need to do something for yourself. And it was, a, it was such a challenge for me. I found it a real challenge. But over time, I've really come, over the last year, I've really come to value the impact that it has on my family when I am refilling my cup in the simplest of ways, 20 minutes on a cross train or whatever it is, I used to feel like it was selfish, but when I look at my family, I see how they benefit from me not living from that painful place of empty and thinking that's what I needed to do to be worth something. I needed to give everything away. Um, so maybe, you know, if you've got a friend who you just see is kind of acting out on these things, just giving themselves away, running themselves into the ground, talk about self-preservation. It's not always the massages, although bring it on. Um, it's it's the small things, you know, yeah. Do you, and just um, with that, I think, like you said, and particularly as Christians, actually, I think we're particularly prone to feel guilty about investing in our in our uh, in, in ourselves. Mm. Um, and and uh, yeah, I talk to, I talk to people often, and it's honestly sometimes my own experience where if you give out and you give out and you give out. It can be so easy for our fa and our families see us. They see the real us, don't they? They um, the rest of the time we can sort of fake it, pretend, you know, imposter syndrome, whatever. But our families see the real us, and and the the challenge I always have, and I don't know if it's the same for any of you, is is that my family don't get what's left. And what I mean by that is, so often, you know, you give out and you come home and you're ti I'm tired, and they get the dregs rather than the best of me. Andy, what is, is that something you experience? Is that yeah? I think one of the one of the feelings that I I felt was in and amongst was in and amongst a lot of the things I was feeling at the time was was actually sort of um, uh, sort of guilt um, guilt because I was sort of anno kind of annoyed with myself that I'd allowed myself to get into this situation almost, um, but um, guilt in that actually I felt I felt that my I felt that my, if I was to, if I was to sort of just do a straight comparison, I suppose with 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 my sort of life on a piece of paper compared to a lot of other people, I could see so many things that I was blessed with, so many things that um, that were um, that were good, and uh, and yet I sort of felt like that, and I, I kind of felt guilty for the fact that I was fe feeling this way. Um, and I think that I guess that is actually sort of really common. I was I was chatting to someone um, the other day, and um, and they're going through 
they've done some things and they're going through a time where they would they would also say that they they were they were depressed and one of the things we were just chatting about is the idea that if you even if you feel guilty the fact that god forgives you you need to also allow yourself to forgive yourself because if you if you if you don't do that it kind of negates kind of god's grace as well doesn't it um so so actually that was one of the things when i went to when i went to have uh, counseling sessions as well um that was really helpful because I could sort of, in a sort of a guilt-free way, just it was it was essentially my time to 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 talk about what I needed to talk about um, um, with her. So, can you just talk to me? So you talked about you know God forgives us, and we'll come on. We're going to finish by talking about how this works, particularly for us as Christians. But what does forgiving yourself look like? What is that? What is that? I mean, I I, I hear it. But what does it actually mean, and what does that what what like what does that mean for you? If that helps us understand how it might mean for us. Um, forgiving yourself. I, I would say that it's if you when you say oh you know I, you've done something and God God forgives you. It's almost sort of like you always it's said in a way where the slate is wiped clean, I suppose, and you you kind of start again. When it when it forgives yourself, when you forgive yourself, I guess it's similar, but you you often. As you mentioned earlier, as, as if you as Christians, and there's so much we talk about about going out and 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 helping others and being an impact in other in other ways that um, it's it's sort of allowing yourself, I suppose, to recognise that you're you're a human and you, you you get things wrong and maybe feel certain things and and there's no there's no right and actually it's allowing yourself to say, do you know what I I I, I am I'm loved by God. And he accepts me for who I am, and now I sort of accept myself for who I, who I am in that in that circumstance. So I'm doing my best. I don't know whether that's very good, that's, but that's absolutely um, brilliant. It's so helpful. I think just the idea of forgiving ourselves. Lynette, have, um, obviously you, you, you work with um, CWR and produce all sorts of amazing resources. But but I, but what are, are there particular resources without wanting to sell your own catalogue that, uh, that or things that that either you've come across or that you've used yourself or that you've heard from somebody else that have helped you begin that process of forgiving ourselves and sort of internalizing. Oftentimes we know truth, we know the, the truth, but it sits here rather than lands, uh, it sits in our, in our head rather than lands in our heart. So have you come across resources or what, how do you do that for yourself? Um, I think I'd preface all of that with Wherever you're at on a spectrum of mental health, and it's a buzzword at the moment, it's a vital buzzword that we're all talking about in the church now, as you say, Bill, that because everybody else is talking about it, we need to wake up and catch up in a lot of ways. There are added complications when you bring in a spiritual dynamic as well. Um, but I guess at the heart of all of us, whether we know God and have a relationship with him or not, is a longing for security, self-worth, and significance. And if we come at any issue that we're facing from that deep-rooted, I need to feel secure and know that I'm loved, I need to be known, I need to have a purpose and know why I'm here, and I need to have a sense of self-worth, which Anna has so beautifully spoken about. I think when we come from that perspective, we can then address an issue of just feeling downright sad one day or downright pointless or um, low or miserable or grumpy or whatever it is 
right through to mind-altering, totally life-changing, serious mental health issues. And there's a whole spectrum that we can't address today, but need different levels of intervention and support and help, whether that be talking therapy, medication, or actual a time spent in a location where you're 100% looked after 24 hours a day. So we're talking such a broad spectrum. But on some of the things that we're able to touch on today, such as, and Andy's been very open and vulnerable talking about anxiety and depression and panic attacks, um, we do actually have some books that are called insight books, and we run days as well, where we come from a premise of... What is a biblical framework of understanding how we function in the first place and where those go wrong or awry to whatever level of that spectrum of need and help that we're on? And how can we address it from a biblical as well as a skills and tools point of view? So you can get all those online. You can get them in Christian bookshops. Um, but we cover very specifically anxiety, self-harm, self-worth, self-esteem, addiction, depression, and a whole spectrum of topics. Um, so they're, in terms of resources, they're available. But I guess... Um, in terms of some tips and other tools from a more personal point of view, I think, um, and many people are talking in this light, and research has been done to show how the main thing in dealing with something with yourself and if you're supporting other people and the people who are looking for help and support, one of the things that's come out of recent research and has been shown is that two of the best things you can do is to be kind and to show empathy. And they are the things that seemingly are actually creating the best support network and response if you can find a way to do that. So your own humility in acknowledging when you don't know an answer, but still showing time, kindness, and empathy are absolutely vital in terms of helping other people and supporting them. That's, that's so helpful. I, just, I think one final question for all of you is... What difference does being a Christian or can being a Christian make when you're in this situation? Because it doesn't mean you're not in the situation. And I think often as church, we, we have this weird sort of internal dialogue about do we lack faith if we feel depressed? Or are we, you know, are we somehow letting God down if we say that everything's not amazing? Um, so, Anna, why don't we start with you? What difference, or what, what's the difference that God can make and, and being a part of a church family can make? Yeah, a, a massive difference. Um, I think talking and speaking about mental health so much in like the, the kind of the general secular culture that I do, there's always a bit of me that just wants to go, but... There's more, like, there's more, you know, we've got, like Isaiah said that God's a wonderful counsellor. Like, we have a counsellor in God as well as the people around us. And vulnerability has always been a massive turning point in my life with a lot of my tricky stories. And I have found it so much more easier to make that difficult step of vulnerability when I know I'm around people who 
are who who know Jesus, like and who have that kind of that that empathy and that compassion because they've read about brokenness and they know how Jesus can heal, so that they can bring that into it as well. Um, but yeah, I think the world can do so much, but God just takes it that step further. And I have always felt that actually God has been the one that has bridged that gap between my low self-worth and self-belief that has come externally and the Christian, you know, the words that he has spoken. Like, it's been when I've interacted with God and in worship and, like, pushed into reading the Bible, even when I've not felt like it. I used to challenge myself just to find one one verse a day, just one verse, read until I found one little thing that resounded to me. Um, And that it was that it was it's the worship and it's the reading and it's that letting your community you know your home group or whoever it is around you in there to kind of help bridge that gap that's been the most powerful thing in my journey when I've allowed that and what about you Andy thanks that's really helpful I sort of really like what Lynette was just touching on just now in that there's for me there was sort of a few few ways obviously God played a massive role in and, and being a Christian played a massive part in it. But there was also an element which I would see, say that God was totally part of, but I sort of found that I, I made sort of practical steps to kind of keep myself active and positive on certain things. So uh, if it's okay to... I'll just A couple of things that I, I sort of did were like really mundane, boring things, but I, 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 I decided to start a project to do at my shed. Um, so if anything that came out of it, I got really good at, at, at plasterboarding. Um, <laughs> But um, I, I, that was kind of, I could, I could sort of see in those moments, though, doing that, then there was a lot of refre- the reflective time to just sort of also be with God at that time. Um, there was, um, there's also a sort of a, something that I worked on with, with the council, which I don't know whether this is sort of a, what kind of technique this is, but it's essentially saying if, if I remember a story of, 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 a, of a swimmer who was going to swim across the channel and one of the ways that they, um, one of the ways that they, they sort of got themselves ready to do that was to visualise what it would be like when they were at the end, um, and and I, I found that really powerful and really helpful because that combined of a number of Bible verses kind of made me think that whatever the situation I am right now, I just accept it and and actually this is just the honest truth as to how I'm feeling, and 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 I'm going to work with God to sort of get through this. So I kind of almost sort of visualise whatever situation I'm in. What it, I don't know what it will look like at the end. I don't know how long it will take to get there. But um, I sort of think that there will be a moment where you'll be able to sort of look back on that and, and, and say that in all of that, God, God, was, faith, God was faithful. Um, and, uh, and so I, I found that really powerful, be it, be it whenever, I, whenever I find myself going back into something or, or I'm feeling down or I can feel, feel myself getting there again um, or even if it's just really simple things like stuff that's going on at work or whatever it might be so um, so yeah I, I've, I've sort of found that yeah that's that 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 element that God will will always see you through it um, will is uh, has, has really sort of resounded me I suppose yeah, thanks Andy so much and then that what, what I know you've talked a little bit about this already but have you anything to add it's about being a Christian, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and how that interfaces with... Yeah. I guess it boils down to the grace of God um, and acknowledging that um, there is a hope and there is grace. 
and that doesn't give us an asbestos suit. It doesn't make us impervious to illness, um, to a lack of healing, to still feeling all the hurts, all the stuff that everybody else feels. But what we do have to draw on is the sustaining grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever, however that is manifest in whatever we're dealing with in the realm of physical health or mental health. And we also have hope. We have a hope. And one of the things that can, we can do for ourselves is to hang on to that hope, but we can also hold hope for other people when they are not able to hold that hope. And that is a vital part as well for your own journey, as well as for supporting other people in their journey, is actually holding hope for them. And that hope is the sustaining grace of God. That is amazing. Thank you. Guys, that was incredible. Thank you so much for just what you shared, for being honest, for being vulnerable, for your wisdom. It's just struck by so many different things, whether it's being kind, whether it's getting into plasterboarding, whether it's just holding on to hope. It's been so helpful. Um, let's give them a round of applause as they head back to their seats. Guys, thank you so much. There's so many different ways to respond to what we've just heard, but um, what I want to do this morning is just um, to be still and um, to remember, you know, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. And in my own experience, um, and we, we talked about this at the start of the term, being still just re means remembering that God's God and I'm not. And that means that God's God over my mental health as well. I need to take ownership and responsibility, but I need to trust that, you know, he and, you know, my community are sort of around me and they're around each one of us. So I'm just going to, um, let's just be still for minutes. Let's close our eyes if you're comfortable. And just... Maybe, Peter, you could come up really quickly and just read out some of those, um, some of the, what you read out during the, during the last hymn. And let's just re-listen to those. Just maybe find one that we can take hold of and um, internalize in a, in a fresh way, and then we'll, we'll pray and, and we'll close. You are chosen, you are called of God, you are being changed into his image, you are a new creation, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are forgiven of all your sins, you are redeemed from the curse of the law, you are blessed, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are victorious. You are set free. You are strong in the Lord. You are healed by his wounds. You are free from condemnation. You are reconciled to God. You are joint heirs with Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are accepted in him. 
You are complete in him. You are dead to sin. You are alive with Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You can do all things in Christ Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You always triumph in Christ. You are beloved of God. You are one with Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, we thank you for each one of those promises. And thank you that they're true, whether we feel them or not. Help us to take hold of them, and in doing so, to take hold of you. And we pray, Lord, for ourselves, but we pray for those who we love or we know who are struggling as well. And we pray that you would walk beside them, that you would surround them with people who can, in the words of the psalmist, sing songs of deliverance and songs of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we finish, I just want to finish by, first of all, thanking the panel again. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for uh, your vulnerability and thank you for your wisdom. It's uh, so much that we can learn from what um, Anna or Andy or Lynette said. So uh, and the great thing is you can listen to this again on podcast or you can share it with people uh, you know if you think it would be helpful. Uh, the other thing I want to emphasize is this is the start of the conversation, not the end of it. And I want to encourage you to, um, in, your, in your collectives, um, just start, continue this conversation. We could, we, you know, we, there are so many other things that we could have talked about if we had time. And maybe we will look at do, continuing this conversation as a whole community altogether. Um, uh, another point maybe later on in the year. But if you're not in a collective, the collectives, are, they are so key to what we do as a church. They are the heart of the church. That's where we meet in smaller groups and we can walk together with each other in a way that we can't as this amazing mass of uh, people all together on a Sunday. So if you're not in a collective, do and I want to encourage you to, to join one, get in touch with us, fill in a Get Connected card and we will be in touch and we will make that happen for you. Why don't we stand? We're going to finish by saying the grace together. <laughs> So, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of Sunday and see you next week.